not unusual that people don't often recognize their own strengths. Now, some of this has to do with culture and social awareness. You know, we all know the guy that walks around the office lauding his pedigree. And I, I know how I think of that guy, and I don't want others thinking the same of me, so I don't typically go around describing my awesomeness to others. However, my reaction to this guy in the office could actually become a problem too. Chris explains. So if you don't know where you're awesome, I think it's a, it's a big danger because you don't know that I'm actually applying the strength. I would also expect other people to have it when they don't have it, and I'd see them as deficient somehow, even though I'm actually special. In other words, if I can't recognize my awesomeness, I won't know when it becomes a liability because the thing I'm awesome in will be easy for me to overdo and become a weakness and stress the team. But if I know my strengths relative to others, I can apply them in a helpful manner and get a glimpse into my unique contribution to the organization. And that is awesome. And we're going to talk about how to know where you're awesome next. This is the Ripple Leader Podcast. The Ripple Leader Podcast, exploring powerful leadership from the inside out with your hosts, Chris Hutchinson and Josh Schuler. Chris, I love the title of this chapter. Know where you're awesome. Who would want to do that? I mean, come on. <laughs> Unless you've got some really self, uh, self uh, image issues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of, people want to know where they're awesome. Yeah, right? exactly. What if, what if you think I'm not awesome? Well, you know, in, in fact, there's, there's a lot of people when I'm talking to them, and I'll be debriefing with a leader about a challenging situation, and we'll be walking through the steps, and uh, they'll be saying, well, yeah, you know, I, I sat down with them, and I had that tough conversation, and it was really uncomfortable. I gave them some space because you, you have to do that. You have to give people space and things like that, and then I, I'll stop them because when I hear that's my little trigger to hear, well, you have to do that, and I'll say, actually, Actually, Jim, you chose to do that. You chose, you decided that giving him space on a difficult moment like that was what was needed. And almost every time people look at me and go, they go, what? And Jim will go, well, you just do that. That's what you do. I said, well, no, that's what you do. I know people who do not give that. They would just say, look, here's the thing. Tough luck being you. Get out of my office. Huh. You know, and, and he look at me like, what? And I'll say, well, he goes, but that's so easy. It's so easy to, give, you know, to know to give somebody space. Hey, Jim, have you ever noticed anybody else struggle with that? Yeah, that's really weird. I don't understand that because it's so simple. That's actually a strength that Jim has no idea that he has because it's so simple for him. It's like breathing, hmm. and he doesn't notice it. So I'm, I'm flipping your question a little bit. It's not yeah. sort of like I don't think I'm awesome, but he was like, I'm, I'm just normal. And then when I asked the question, he's like, yeah, there are a lot of people who struggle with that. I don't get that. It's really weird. you know. I mean, it's easy for everybody, right? No, it isn't. It's a strength for you. So if you don't know where you're awesome, I think it's a, it's a big danger because you don't know that I'm actually applying the strength. I would also expect other people to have it when they don't have it, and I'd see them as deficient somehow even though I'm actually special. So, so understanding where you're awesome, even when it doesn't feel that you're awesome, one way you can do that is just asking people, so what do you really appreciate, you know, honestly, what do you appreciate about me? And listen, 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 and, and you'll hear things like this, I appreciate you give me space. When things are tough, you don't push me to the wall. You know, when you see you're asking something in a meeting and I'm kind of, I'm uncomfortable, you, you give me some time to process and uh, come back and give you a better answer. I really appreciate that. You're thinking, God, I, I would do that with everybody, right? That's good. 
I, I remember maybe one of the first conversations I ever had with you, Ooh. you drew the, the diagram that's represented in this chapter. Yes. Which is really that more is not always better. Well, yeah. Like what, I thought more was always better. Well, you know, and I, and I love this. I, I actually recently, I was trying to remember the book that it was in, but um, I think it's The Happiness Advantage or something, or maybe ACT Therapy. One of these books has a thing that talks about why we're wired for more is always better, because that has been the reason why you and I are here. Our ancestors had more food, more water, more kids, more land, more freedom, whatever it was that got us here. And it's pretty well documented. People can win millions of dollars. They've never had it before, and in mere weeks, they're back to being as satisfied as they were before, meaning that they'd want more. So we are wired, I think, as people to, uh, as a survival instinct, which up to now has worked really good, but now it's not working so good because I can take my credit card in my wallet, go down the street to the main, main drive here, and have more food than what I'd ever need to survive. I could weigh 600 pounds in short order, so more is not always better. Back in the old days, you couldn't do that. You couldn't hunt enough buffalo or, you, could, you know, you couldn't have enough kids to have too many. But there is definitely a place where, and, and the picture is uh, kind of fun, so it's a little graph, and it basically has on the y-axis going up, it says, what are the results you get from zero to whatever? And the x goes, what is the effort from zero to whatever? And there's sort of a bell curve looking thing. And the idea is that a little of something is not that great and neither is too much. It's the Goldilocks curve where there's too little, too much, and just right is actually the maximum you're going to get. Um, so that's what the result you're going to get. And that, that could be anything from um, uh, fitness to you know, sleep to control to, you know, I mean, anything you have. And, and the challenge is that it, the line of more is always better starts right with that curve and then parallels it up to the point where that bell curve drops off and it keeps on going. And that's the rude awakening when people are up there thinking that, well, I've done this in the past. You know, if, if I just run, if I just push harder, I just push harder, I'll, you know, and I've always gotten better results. And they're going off the top of that curve where the harder they push, the slower they're going. Like uh, maybe driving on an icy road. And when I told my daughter, hey, by the way, you'll actually go faster if you let off the accelerator. Like that, you're going to see the short circuit in her brain. Dead. 99.99% of the time when I push down the accelerator, I go faster. What the hell are you talking about? But it's because our wheels are spinning. At a certain point, the road can't hold it. And so knowing that point actually gives you this counterintuitive result of when I let off on the accelerator, I'm going to go faster. And that's really hard for people in leadership positions because you've gotten all this pats on the back and support and value to say, hey, the more often you have a meeting, the better things will be. So since we're in a crisis, we probably should be meeting daily. No, we should be meeting hourly. And why don't you call me every 30 minutes? You know, you can see how there's just absolutely no productivity out of that group at all. And yet leaders will do that because they're like, well, it's always worked in the past. More is always better. Yeah. And I, I specifically bring that up as, in the context of this whole idea of knowing your strengths. Mm-hmm. Because for there, I mean, there's some people who are like, I don't, I don't want to know. Or, you know, I don't yeah. think so. Or, you know, I don't want to have that conversation. But it's absolutely crucial that you actually do as part of that awareness as a leader. Absolutely. Because to, to your point of, okay, if I'm pushing too hard, because it's easy to push on the strength that I have. Oh, yeah. If I'm not aware of that, I don't know where to let the accelerator off. Exactly. And I, and I also can't see where that strength goes too far. The strength, and, and, and it kind of couples with this outcomes and effort thing. So the input is, uh, you know, how much we're talking. So we're not talking ever at all. As a Boston employee, we're not going to get a lot of productivity. 
But if you can't get me out of your office, we're also not going to have productivity. And the challenge is, as we're working up that curve, when are you going to help me know that it's the top? I've had I've had leaders, I've sat with senior executive team, very senior teams, been working with a leader for a while, and something good was happening. And I said, oh, and the leader wasn't in the room. So um, you told her that this was a great thing, right, that this is really helping the organization. And they kind of looked at each other like, it's her job. And we've been waiting for this for three years, and we're not telling her. Okay, and on the flip side, when I have people who are having a problem, literally heard like C-level, senior, you know, billion-dollar corporation people saying, um, well, are you going to tell them that, you know, I said, so what, who's going to tell them that this behavior is not really helpful and that we need a change? I'm not telling them. You tell them? I'm not telling them. And they're looking at each other like, no, 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 career suicide. So the leader just merely goes on their way, driving over bodies in the road, wondering why it's bumpy, you know, figuring, well, nobody's telling me plus, nobody's telling me minus. I just guess what I'm doing in the past is probably what I need to keep doing, maybe a little faster and harder because we're stressful right here. So that it's just this fascinating kind of uh, quiet conspiracy that people do around leaders. So it's vital that the leader knows where that is. You know, in the past, sometimes I can be over-controlling. I can get into details that aren't helpful. Would you be willing to tell me when I cross that line where I've stopped being helpful and it's starting to not impact you well? And if, if a leader is willing to do that and knows what their strengths are, we can possibly crest that top and say right around the top part where we're optimizing for the amount of input we're getting the best result possible. That's good. You, you describe in the, the chapter the idea of a mirrored, dis, mirrored disco ball. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of fun. So there's a lot of assessments out there. And it's, it's almost like fortune cookie wrappers. You know, th- when you look in there and you see a grain of truth, go for it. You know, that's a good thing. Now, does that define you or tell you who you are? Probably not. Now, uh, now there's people who are cringing because they've spent their lifetimes making these validated scientific, you know, surveys. But even, for instance, we use a one called a DISC, which is sort of uh, how do you approach problems and people and, and pacing of things and what the standards are. How do you approach that unfiltered? And everybody does it a little differently. And you can, you can approach any of these. I can make a quick decision. I can try to work on people. The more I have to adjust myself before I start using that energy to go forward, the less energy you're going to get from me pushing. So if I, anyway, so the idea is understanding myself there. That is one tile on a mirror disco ball. So if I looked up at that disco ball spinning above me and I'd see a, a, a view of me that I normally don't see, I can't get 12 feet above me very easily and see down on top, oh, look, at, there's the part of my hair. But I get a clear picture on that. I go, oh, look at that. I didn't know my hair was parted like that. Oh, that's interesting. And, uh, oh, that must be why the person reacted to me that way or whatever. Um, and so this thing's spinning around, and I think the more assessments you take, not a total junkie on this, but the, that actually give you good reflections will give you a clear picture of yourself that you don't see otherwise because I only see myself through my eyes, you know, and maybe I can see a mirror, flat one. But if I get this 3D picture, it's going to make a big difference to how I can apply myself. And so uh, the other thing I say about that is those things don't define you. That's not me in that little mirror disco ball. It's just a picture of me. And I get to decide, is that a strength or weakness? Is that something that I can help people with? Or should I try to see if not fix it, but diminish that pos- that uh, potential impact of whatever that is I'm not so good at doing? So any tips for anyone who suspects an overdone strength might be in play? Yeah. Um, 
That's a tough one because as a society we tend to be polite and we'll say, "Hey, good job." We won't tell you specifically. Or, or let me reasons. let me ask it a different way. Sure. Okay, go ahead. So the story you have, okay, you have the CEO or the C-suite yeah. person who um, no one will tell them plus or minus. Right. So if if you're in a position where the conditions are such that somebody won't tell you, right? How could you go find that yourself? Well, there's a couple of things. One thing is that there are people who, I mean, a lot of people, if if kind of this is not said the right way, but cornered. Like if I sit down with you and said, look, we are in a room quietly. I know there are things that I'm doing that aren't really helpful. Based on my understanding of my own strengths, it's A, B, and C. Which one do you think is probably a play here? So I initiate as a leader. I ask for the feedback. I give you a fair, rather than saying, what do you think of my performance? You're going to go, oh, it's fine. But I say, where might I be over-controlling and getting too much into details? Where might I be steamrolling you and not helping you be yourself and best self? You know, whatever. And if I say those things, how much might that be in play? You're more likely to say, well, yeah, I've noticed that a couple of times. You know, and so it's seeking, uh, being vulnerable, putting my shield in the corner and saying, okay, I know I have these challenges. I need to be vulnerable. And will you help me with them or at least give me um, some feedback on how it's going? So that's one of the things you could do. You can also, I mean, we do this with folks is uh, walk people through assessments so they get those understandings. And then ask them questions about how it's going. So it's essentially a coaching relationship to say, okay, here's a challenge. How did that show up this week? Yeah, that's right. I turned all those people off in that meeting. They just kind of shut down and we had to stop. That was me overanalyzing. That was me adding too much value through asking questions. And then we talk about, well, what would be the right amount of value? What's the top of that curve? You know, uh, probably no more than five questions in a, a meeting. You know, where I'm asking really, okay, well, let's, well, are you willing to commit to that? Let's do that. And then we can adjust. So it's it's a willingness to open yourself up, getting the feedback, and then applying it. And I think if you do that, then you can use these things to not only know your strengths, but apply them well. Anything else that you would say to someone? Well, I, I think using the same sort of the curve here where there's not quite enough and too much are both not helpful and the right amount. If you're doing the right amount of this, I think you really understand and you can apply your strengths. And you're minimizing your weaknesses. You're using your strengths actually to sort of make up a little bit for your weakness rather than trying to fix them because that's not really going to help anybody. If you're doing it too much, I've seen this where people sort of, yes, I know where I'm strong and I'm just going to inflict that on you. And you have to bend around what I am versus saying, I know that I'm this way and I'd like to work with you in the way that you are. And if you're not doing it enough, if you really don't, you, you don't know your strengths, I just kind of show up. I just sort of do my things. And so it's, it might be in that situation. Well, well, you just do that. And I'm disappointed with other people and under, trying to figure out why they just don't measure up, even though I'm just normal. So that's, I think, a good way to start looking at, is it good to know or is it something you want to work on of understanding better where you're awesome? That wraps up another episode of the Ripple Leader Podcast. In our next episode, we're going to dive into the next principle of Ripple Leadership by exploring a practice called Do the Hard Stuff. For more about Ripple and Ripple Leadership, visit us online at rippleleader.com. You can order your copy of Ripple and gain access to other valuable resources. If you're on Twitter, follow and interact with Chris at at rippleleader. And you should know that the Ripple Leader podcast is brought to you by the work of the Trebuchet Group. You can learn more about the work of the Trebuchet Group at trebuchetgroup.com. Now I'm your co-host, Josh Schuler. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next time. And until then, go and make some ripples. Ripples.